0: Welcome to The Unconventional Path, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Stories and Ideas. Hi, I'm Bala Musitz, coming to you from upstate New York. I'm a former three-time entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and business school professor.
1: And coming to you from Münster, Germany, I'm Mike Wasserman, Professor of International Management at the Münster University of Applied Sciences. Thanks for joining us today. When Bela and I were both on the faculty of Clarkson University, uh, we would have lots of interesting conversations about how the world is changing and even more specifically about how innovation and entrepreneurship are changing. We'd talk over coffee or lunch as time allowed. And almost two years ago, I moved to Germany and Bela retired a little bit after that. But Bela had the idea to continue these conversations in the form of a podcast, uh, inviting others to listen in. And I thought this was a horrible idea. I said, I'm not a podcast guy, Bela, but as usual, you're right, and uh, we've had a great time so far.
0: Yeah, so uh, join us each week as we talk with interesting people we've met uh, to share their stories, ideas, and insights about the innovation, entrepreneurship uh, that they have uh, uncovered along their paths uh, to find success and happiness in work and in life.
1: So Bela, tell us a little bit about this week's episode.
0: Hey, yeah. Hey, Mike, before I do that, uh, I just wanted to remind our listeners that one of the key elements of this podcast uh, is to interview business founders that we can all identify with. Uh, We've had coffee roasters on the podcast, software developers, business consultants, cafe and restaurant owners. So we're not trying to discuss how to start the next Facebook or Google. What we want to do is bring you stories that you can identify with And hopefully that will inspire you to realize, hey, I can do that, and then take the first step to start your business journey. With that in mind, this week's guest is Ian Misik. He and his father run a house painting business.
1: This is a really interesting interview, Bela. Um, Oh, but before we begin, let's take a second to remind our listeners that this podcast is brought to you in part by the law firm of Phillips Lytle, LLP. Uh, and this is a sponsorship that makes a lot of sense to us, right? Bella, you know this firm well, don't you?
0: I, sh- I sure do. I have worked with the key entrepreneurship practice partners at Phillips Lytle for over 20 years. Uh, their attorneys are nationally recognized, and they take an entrepreneurial approach to legal matters, and they have a long, long history of success with assisting startup businesses. The attorneys at Phillips Lytle are my go to team for guiding startup businesses down the path to success.
1: Yeah, Bela, you and I are really excited to have Philips Lytle as our show sponsor. And we both know that they think like entrepreneurs, taking a pragmatic approach to getting things done and spotting issues before they become problems. So we're happy to recommend that if you need good, solid advice, starting funding or selling a business, whether you're a single person startup or working on a nine-figure exit, we can confidently recommend the attorneys at Philips Lytle. Bela, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with them?
0: So for more information, contact Rich Honan, who is a Phillips Lytle partner. If you're old school, uh, like Mike and I, uh, you can give Rich a call at 518-618-1225. Or if you're of the generation that prefers online communication, you can reach Rich directly from his firm's website at phillipslytle.com. That's P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-L-Y-T-L-E.com.
1: And it'll be great for us if you let Rich know how you heard about Philip Lytle uh, by listening to the Unconventional Path podcast. All right. With that said, let's jump right into today's interview with Ian Misick.
0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to today's podcast. It's Bela here. And today I'm here with Ian Miesek. Uh He runs a... Uh, painting and wallpapering business uh, which is a family business. So I think today is going to be a great great uh, conversation about uh, family businesses and uh, working with your dad and the uh, the fun and the challenges that uh, come with that. So welcome to the show Ian. Thanks Bela. Yeah so tell us a little bit about the, about the business.
2: Well the business name is Adirondack Paint and Paper. Um, my father started it back in 1986 and it was uh, out of necessity. He had had a teaching degree in phys ed. And at the time, they were cutting budgets at schools. And he had a hard time finding work. So he had painted through college to mm-hmm. get his way through college. And it was a natural, like, I need to do something to make some money to feed my family. And that's, so that's what he did. Yeah. And now so, here we are, 2019. So,
0: yeah. So he was a school teacher and, uh, and got never. laid off or he never got employed?
2: Right, he was never employed. Ah, ever. got it. Right, he had a degree, he actually worked in the bar business for a while, mm-hmm. and then that partnership dissolved, and f- trying to find a job in 86, because I, th- he, I was born in 79, so he graduated before I did, so there was a lag time there before he started looking for a job.
0: Yes, yes. Okay, and uh, so how did he, how did, do you know how, why he picked the paint and wallpaper business? Well, he, Other than
2: he had the skill, and he did it in college? that's pretty much it and I mean if you think about the cost of entry for you know it doesn't require a lot of overhead to get going you get a couple customers you know you get a little word of mouth and before you know it, you've worked for the whole summer and for a couple thousand dollars you buy some brushes and some ladders and yes off you go
0: yeah so I think this notion of uh, startup cost Uh, is an important one to our listeners because there are some businesses that intrinsically have a very high capital cost to get going. Right. Uh, You know, you got to build a manufacturing plant.
2: Sure.
0: (laughs) Uh, And other businesses, uh, and we've had several guests like this uh, on the podcast in the past, the startup cost is very low, and that makes it very attractive Mm -hmm. uh, to get going. The challenge with that, of course, is it also makes it easier for competitors to get into the business. Right. So that means a lot of your ability to keep in business and stay in business has to do with uh, your brand recognition in the community Mm -hmm. and sort of the customer service and the word of mouth. So how do you guys uh, uh,
2: think about that? Quality. Honestly, um, and you're right when you say it's easy, the cost of entry is low and it's easy to it's easy for someone to go buy a couple paintbrushes and call themselves a painter. Yes. I mean how many times have you run into someone's oh I can paint. Yes. Right? And so what sets us apart, what I strive to accomplish is a high level of quality in my product and a high level of professionalism in dealing with customers. Right? So just give people respect, mm-hmm. right? And uh what they pay for and uh, high quality end product. And it seems to it's worked for us. Yeah. You know, we haven't done a whole lot of official branding up until recently. Um, And that's honestly because last winter we slowed down a lot and I started looking back as to why, because up until now it's been a lot of all word of mouth. I haven't really had to do any advertising and it just, it just works. Mm -hmm. Um, Nobody has any phone books anymore. Mm, right to look you up to look us up, and so pages, I started look looking, up, and I yeah. said, "Well, nobody can find us." So now I've tried to increase my online presence and increase my branding, and and that's certainly gotten me more phone calls. I don't know if it's translated to more work. I'm busy as I want to be for sure, mm-hmm. but yeah, quality. It's all about quality. I mean, anybody can show up to your house and paint your room, but to show up to your house and be on time. Show up When you say you're going to show up, be presentable and treat people with respect and produce a good quality product. And that's pretty much it right there, I think. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I used to have a
0: neighbor uh, that uh, was in the uh, home renovation business, mm-hmm. and he said those exact same things. He said, show up when you tell, first of all, return phone calls. Oh, that's huge. You, right.
2: know, you know, many times people, oh, thank you for calling me back. And I said, well, this is how, I mean, if I don't call you back, I don't get work. Why would I not call you back? Right.
0: Right. You know, call people back. Show up when you tell them you're going to show up. Mm-hmm. Be clean and presentable. And, you know, show them respect mm-hmm. and deliver a reasonable product. And he goes, you're ahead of 90, uh, 90% of other people in this At business. At
2: least 90%. Yeah.
0: Right. So that's good. So let's go back a little bit. How did you get into the business? What was sort of your thinking of? Uh, uh, so let's first uh, even go back further than that. Uh, uh, high school in yep.
2: Warrensburg? I went to school. Yep. I graduated from Warrensburg in 97.
0: So that's Warrensburg, New York
2: for New, Warrensburg, new, new listeners. York, yep. Right. And I went to college. Well, so I did two years at Adirondack. It was Adirondack Community College at the time. Okay because um, I hadn't decided what I wanted to do yet. And then I actually took a year off between my sophomore and junior year and traveled the country and played Vagabond mm-hmm. for for a while, which was a perfect experience. I recommend that highly to anyone that can. Um, I went back to school at Plattsburgh State in upstate New York and got my degree in environmental science Okay, two years, two and a half years later. So I graduated December of 2002, I got out, um, applied to a whole bunch of jobs, and I don't know if it was timing. My interview skills at the time were less than stellar, I think. Uh, So I was having a difficult time finding a job, similar to my father in 1986, right? So April rolls around, and I'd had a good time skiing, but I needed some money, and I needed to not be a drain on the system, and... That's about when we start to get busy in the painting business, so yes. I started working, because I had done some work for my father in the summers, through college and whatever, so I wasn't completely clueless. And to be honest, one year, two years, three, now it's 2019, and, and here I am. So I can't say that it was ever a very defined, "This is what I'm going to do. this is what I'm going to pursue." Yes. It just it worked. Um, my girlfriend who became my fiance, who is now my wife at the time, had a job in Lake George. So we were kind of locked into the area. Yes. And it it worked. It provided flexibility and the money that I needed to, to live. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. And so, um, how big is the business now?
2: Right now we have four employees and me and my father. Okay. Right. And it fluctuates. I mean, at one time we had 11 employees. You know, in the summertime, I try and ramp up to six. Six seems to work pretty well for us. Okay. Um, I've had a hard time finding employees the last couple of years, but that's common, I think, in the construction trade. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit.
0: You know, oftentimes when we've had uh, people on from high tech businesses, they they always say the same thing. It's a real challenge to find talented people that are skilled. Mm-hmm. And in in certain businesses, like you're a computer programmer, you can get a degree in computer programming, right. and you can put it on your resume, mm-hmm. and then you know you you sort of have a credential uh, to get hired. So um, how does that work in in your industry, right?
2: Yeah, you know it's funny you bring up the credentials. Um, so, we'll start with how the hiring how the how yeah. I find people, and then we'll move on to the credentials that'd thing. be perfect. um there is no I put out an ad and every phone call I get I ask for a resume half the time I get one maybe I've gotten resumes that are like somebody hand wrote a couple things on a piece of loose leaf paper and you know giving it to me that way I've yeah. on it's I like to meet face-to-face because for that first impression, the way they look, the way they carry themselves, you know, you can kind of tell how they might work with the crew. And because we have such a small crew, the two of the guys I have with me now have been working for 10 plus years. Oh, wow. Right? So we're kind of a little family. So the work you do is maybe not even as important as how you'll fit in with the crew. If we all work together well, because I can teach anyone how to do this mm-hmm. it's, it's not rocket science mm-hmm. i mean you know the it's prep work it's i can teach you in a month and if your personality can fit in and you're willing to come to work consistently yes then i can make that work um and i've had a hard time i just think that it's hard work people don't want to come to work it's not glorious it's not it's there's nothing it's like it's not like oh well what do you do i'm a painter like you know you don't get the oh wow that's awesome you don't get that reaction and some older guys i can hire but you know like i have a guy that just kind of retired this year he was semi-retired for a couple years and this year at the end of the season he just decided that he physically can't do it anymore yeah you know so it's easier for me to find workers from that generation because you know they were more apt to think highly of a labor of the trade yeah, yeah. right and uh, with younger kids younger people just people don't want to work i've had an ad a running ad for 4 months mm-hmm. and i have had two responses wow you know so i can get all the work i want i just can't find people to do it yes. right and so okay that leads me into the whole credential thing there is really no I don't get a resume that says I have this two- year degree from such and such a place for professional painting. There are unions so I can get a union painter but I'm not a union shop so that you know I'm, union painters are going to work because they get higher wages yes right um, My most recent idea is to approach the local high school and the guidance counselor or the vice principal or whoever and ask for a list of students that might be suitable for trades, right? Or people who've done some Bosey's work. and, yes. Right? And because that's when I need my most help is right in the summer. So I, I get a kid who wants to learn something because honestly, you can make a living doing this, right? You just need to have some basic knowledge. And, you know, I, I, I'm going to try that. I don't know if it's going to work. Yeah. You know, ideally... I get a couple kids that want to learn some things and it'll serve them well through the rest of the, even if they don't go on, they, they graduate high school and they don't go on to be a painter. At least they'll have that knowledge that if they get laid off from whatever job they're doing, they can turn around and get a job in the summer for a while to right. carry on.
0: Right. And my father always used to say, it's, it's uh he used to say, son, uh, I know you're going to college and you're getting an engineering degree, but it's always good to keep a trade.
2: I know a lot of people have said that.
0: Right. It's always yeah. good to keep a trade. Right. Um, and, and, and mine was during the summers, I, I was a Mason's helper. There you go. So, you know, I know how to mix, mix mud as we called it yeah. and, uh, lay, lay bro- block and brick and pour yeah. concrete foundations and stuff. So,
2: and work hard.
0: Oh yeah. It, uh, yeah. Right? It, it, it taught me a good lesson, right? So sure. it was like, Hmm, I can do this. And I looked around. And being a mason is, is really tough work. Yes, it is. And I looked around and I said, Gee, I don't see anybody that's like much older than 45 doing this. <laughs> no.
2: And if they are older than that, they're not moving very fast. <laughs>
0: right. 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 So, uh, yeah. So it was a good, uh, good lesson. So in hiring people, one of the things I think I heard you say was that um, attitude is really important. It is. And that, that reminded me of uh, the founder of uh, Southwest Airlines. Uh, who i heard an interview with uh, well, a number of years ago, Herb Kelleher, and someone asked him, like, what's the number one thing you look for? And he goes, look, he said, it's basically the same thing you said. I can teach anyone how to be a ticket agent. I can teach someone how to be a pilot. I hire for attitude mm-hmm. and I and I can then train them or they can be trained into the particular job. If they have the right attitude, they're willing. So it's interesting that you and your business here in Warrensburg, New York, yeah. said exactly the same thing how important
2: attitude is. I would be shocked if it wasn't universal. Yeah. I mean, you know, sure, there's some technical trades, technical skills that people need to have across various careers, right? But attitude, I mean, if you're willing to learn mm-hmm. and you're willing to, I mean, honestly, life is about attitude if you're mm-hmm. willing to have a good attitude i mean, how much better is your just day-to-day life if you right. treat people with respect you know i mean that's yeah
0: well you heard it here folks if you have a good attitude and life you're looking for a job uh yeah you can check the show notes out and i have ian's contact information he's looking for people absolutely <laughs> definitely <laughs> great so uh so you and your father are in this business. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think uh, I think you're the first guest we've had that's a uh, family business, of you know multi generational, sec- second generation, yeah, a second yeah, okay. generation family business. Right. So how does that work? What's the you know
2: share what you feel comfortable sharing with us on on sure. how that works? You know my my dad and I have have an awesome relationship. I hear other I've talked to other people that have the family or you know. I could never work for my dad. Yes. Right. Um, I've never really had that issue. I mean, I'm not going to say that we haven't had... There's one thing for me personally that is a struggle is that I don't really enjoy the blurring between, you know, especially in the beginning, the way he was... I wanted, you know, I had my dad and then I had my boss and then there was this blurring where it was you know was he my dad was he my boss like which yes
0: what hat do you what hat are you wearing exactly
2: right or you know my mom and dad would come over for dinner and we would chat about work and my mom hated that you know but that's that's life I mean we it's just it blurred together yes and and I kind of sided with my mom like I really enjoy keeping it separate but increasingly it's just it's just life right i mean you talk about work when you need to talk about work you do other things when you want to do other things and you know but overall i think we've had a just open communication make sure that you know we both kind of have clear boundaries yes how do you divide up those boundaries how do you divide up the responsibilities um so in the beginning i was basically just labor in the field right because i didn't know much as far as skills go i didn't know much about employee management yeah yeah um so i'm how did not that- really sure i know much about employee management <laughs> now but i'm doing my best so how
0: did that work in the field in the beginning right because you're the you're the boss's son how does that yeah
2: but the trades are funny because if you don't have experience if you don't if you're you know there's this hierarchy of uh, authority yes right so you have the older guy who's been doing it for 30 years and he could not care less if you're the boss's son or if you have four college degrees or whatever. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter because if you don't, if you can't pull your own weight mm-hmm. or you can't hold your own in whatever tasks you're doing, yeah, th- it doesn't matter. You and, know? and
0: when you, and when you have a small crew of three or four or five people, right. if one person is not pulling their weight, it really shows. It shows.
2: Right. Yep. It's drastic. It is. So, it, you know, so, Early, it didn't matter if I was the boss's son or not, right? And I tried to make it, I didn't, I never really, I was never that person where I was like, well, that's, you know, I can sit here and take an extra 45 minutes for my lunch because I'm the boss's son. You didn't play that card. I, I did not play that card because I understood that to get respect, you had to work hard just like everybody else works hard. And I still do. I mean, you know, I don't necessarily spend all day, every day on the job anymore, right? So I go do this and I go do that and I go, you know, get work and I do whatever, office work. Yes. Um, so sometimes I wonder if the fact that I'm not on the job, and because it's the trades, if you're not on the job, not doing work, I sometimes I get this impression that people think that I'm actually not working, which, yes. you know, isn't true, but unless you've been in that role, you don't necessarily understand exactly what's going on, so... But yeah, to go back to my the dynamics we we've never really defined specifically the roles uh as I got older I guess it was a time that my dad wanted to step back from the day-to-day job site management so I started taking over that role so I would you know I I would manage the job site so you could kind of say I was like the job site foreman okay. which really only meant that I had to keep track of how much product we needed for the day, made sure we had what we we needed to get through the day um keep track of what everybody did, so at the end of the day, we could record that, make sure people showed up. you know I didn't necessarily march around and tell people what to do, it was just kind of uh, and then as it got on, he got a little older, and you know now he spends most of his time at the shop or not even then he you know he spends a couple hours at the shop or does what he needs to do and then he does what he wants to do and i have taken over more and more his role yes right so it was nothing ever decided nothing ever definite it just kind of started at me being laborer flowing into me being management yeah right
0: yeah so when there's something needs to be done you do it exactly yeah yeah, yeah. and uh So let's talk a little bit about the business itself. Uh, The name of the business is Adirondack Paint and Paper. Mm -hmm. So I assume that means you do some painting, interior, exterior,
2: or both? Interior and exterior. Okay. Both for sure. Um, Summertime, we try to, you know, stay outside, obviously, because that's the only time you can. And this time of year, we transition inside. Obviously, we, you know, people want inside work done in the summer and if I could carry a big enough crew, I could definitely accommodate that all summer. I just this year, specific, particularly, I've struggled with trying to stay outside because mm-hmm. I only have so much personnel. Um, and it and as much as customers would allow me, I would push them off to do inside work this time of year yes. and you know through the winter.
0: Yeah, yeah. And do you do uh, private residence commercial work?
2: Yep, all our work is. I'd say 99% of our work is private residence. No commer. I mean, a very small bit of commercial um and new construction i would have to look to see what percentage is new construction as opposed to just re, you know residential repaints yes um and that kind of ebbs and flows with the economy right now there's a lot of building going on so we have a lot more new construction you know and then there's some years that i think you know it's 85 percent residential repaints okay
0: yep. and typically you have one crew out two crews how do you sort of uh, do that i usually
2: i I like to have two split between two job sites. Um, and I keep going back to this year because it's kind of an anomaly. This year, I think it started last year, but I I started transitioning to having just one crew. And that that way I could kind of focus all of my resources, all of my equipment on one place, and we could move around from job site to job site. That's a little harder to manage with customers because sometimes I feel like it's easier for for me to have a couple different jobs going because then... I'm kind of keeping more people happy at mm-hmm. once, mm-hmm. but that's my problem. That's me just being able to manage right. communication with customers. So right, right. Yeah.
0: And uh, how do you? That's that brings a good point. How do you manage that? Right? If you're painting outside, and um, you know, you tell me you'll be start painting my house in three weeks, and then in in the ensuing three weeks between now and the three weeks now it we have rained. seven days of rain Right. all of a sudden I'm a week late at mm-hmm. least if not more right so how do you how do you sort of deal with that how do you manage that because that seems to be setting customer expectations seems to be a, a big element of, of, of professions like this
2: right and it's gotten people expect more sooner now than they used to and so the way more, I, more communication now more just more of everything. No, mm-hmm. that's not true. Um, quicker. Things to happen quicker. Oh, okay. They want things to happen fast. Like, oh, I called you and you're going to come you know, next week, right? Right? You... right. Honestly, I'm to the point now, if you call me for exterior work, say you called me in September because you thought, oh, shoot, I need to get my house painted this fall. Yes. Yeah. I'm booking into next year and probably into the middle of next summer. Okay, back up. So, I very rarely will tell you that I'm going to be there in three weeks I have a running list and I'll say that all right. well you're four or five jobs down on the list or I'll give you an approximate time frame sometime in August yes Um, and now I've been doing this long enough where for the most part uh, you know May's rainy right so I like I'm gonna lose some time in May so I don't really try to schedule as much into May but then June July usually we can get August we get drier right um, and then after that, it's just communication. You know, if I told you that I'm going to come in, if I'm going to have your work done before July 4th and it rains for 40 days and 40 nights and I can't, then it's just, I call you up and you can look out the window and see that it's raining. Right. Unless you're completely unreasonable, everybody's, you know, fine with that. It's it's really just about communicating. That's where the calling people back comes from that we talked about earlier. Yes. There's lots of ways to communicate right now in this society just communicate and more than often more often than not people are more than fine with it yeah
0: yeah because you know in, it's interesting in the, in this business uh you to be successful you have to have a pretty good skill set because you're not only managing employees mm-hmm. and their schedules mm-hmm. right and and if you have a, a crew of four or five people and one person's out sick for a week i mean that's a that's a 20 percent hit on mm-hmm. your capacity it is and and so not only are you managing that you're managing your customers as well, mm-hmm. and they're all anxious. They want, as you said, they want to get their house painted today, right? Uh, and so that that takes uh, you're juggling a lot of balls there, and uh, it it sounds like that's a really important skill to have in in this type of a, a business when you're when you're providing a service to customers.
2: I agree, and it's, that's one of my biggest frustrations, actually, um, because ideally. My employees are little, I shouldn't say this out loud, but little clones of me, right? Uh They're going to wake up early in the morning and they're going to be gung-ho to get after it every day and they're going to come in, they're going to work until the job is done, not just until 4.30 when we end our day. Yes. And you know, my crew right now, for the most part, is awesome, right? I mean, we all have sick days, we all have things that we need to deal with. Sure. I'm not completely unreasonable. And uh, yeah, it's again, it's it's just about it's communication, hmm you know, and sometimes customers, well, will you just hire some more guys, it's like, yeah, if you know someone, send them my way. yeah, but it's you know and I try to remember that my employees are my most valuable resource, because without them i'm not getting nearly as i'm not getting anything done i mean i can get some things done sure
0: right but the employees are your manufacturing plant so are my right they're the factory
2: yeah they're the factory they're they're the employees in the factory they're the yes. machines they're everything they're everything they're everything right so they need time off you give them time off and then why just you just deal with it
0: yeah right yeah um is there a particular sort of market segment you go after? I mean we talked about residential, but there's a broad spectrum of residential, right? There's right. there's sixty thousand dollar houses and mm-hmm. customers have certain level expectations. And in this region where we are, there's three million dollar houses. Right. Uh where customers have certain expectations. Mm-hmm. Have you targeted a specific segment of that market?
2: I have. I honestly we target the high-end, the you know, five hundred thousand million dollar we do a lot of second homes around Lake George, mm-hmm. um, or primary home residences, yes. for that matter. Uh, and I think that has just been a direct result of quality, and because of the quality that I shoot for, I think sometimes my prices are a little are a little higher than others. So it's just kind of naturally I fall into that market category because they don't they don't uh, usually they're not as price sensitive exactly then it's price sensitive yeah. right but that said i'm not just because you if you have a $60,000 house and you call me up and you need some painting done i'll come to your painting if yes. we can make it work uh, cost wise and schedule wise and i'm not going to say no just because you know you live in a $60,000 house sure but that said the $2 million houses $3 million houses are m- way more fun to work on mhm and how long does a
0: typical Uh, painting job last is it three four days is it a week is it a month
2: or is there no such thing it's not really typical typical. yeah that's i don't think there's such thing as typical but if you take your for this area like if you look around at the houses that we're looking at outside the window um a week Mm -hmm. for a you know a typical exterior paint job okay right um but yeah there's not really a typical length of time that would be awesome, though, because then it would be really easy to bid things. To schedule, yeah, and things. schedule. So, do
0: you do? Are you the primary person who does the estimating and the bidding and stuff? I am.
2: Yep. How much of time does
0: that take up of yours?
2: Uh, you know, it comes in. It's it's strange. It's very. It comes in waves, so I'll have a week where it feels like 50% of my time is taken up visiting and, and writing up bids. And then I'll have other weeks where I have zero. Right. And that's seasonal. So it seems like in late August, it are starting to get on fall. People are sensing a change in the seasons. They're like, Oh, well, I had all this outside stuff I needed to do. And I just to get this influx of phone calls. <laughs> yes. And then again, it'll happen in the spring. Um, it'll happen again after Christmas. Probably around late January. Um,
0: but yeah, it's. And where did you learn that skill? Bah. Oh,
2: yeah, I don't know if I ever really learned it. No, my father. I followed him around and learned through him. Basically, I kind of he taught me how to do it. Um, some of it's been trial and error. I've tried to streamline a little bit, of, a little bit of it because he did a lot of. You know, you kind of stand in the room, and you look around, and you think, well, it's going to take. Three days, okay. Right, and as unscientific as that sounds, after you do it for a while, that actually works. Okay, you know, I can I can kind of stand in a room and tell you about how long it's going to take and how many gallons of paint it's going to take, and and get pretty close to the price. Yeah. So, yeah, experience. I guess experience was the best teacher for that one. Yeah, because if you
0: if you if you if you misestimate, right,
2: (laughs) right. You may if you estimate high, you
0: may not get the job. Right. If you estimate low, you're going to lose money on it. Right. And neither one of those situations
2: is good. Neither one of them. Yep. So I've I've solved that problem mm, a little bit by working time and material and giving kind of upper end Limits. quote unquote budget numbers. So okay. I I would come to your house and I'd say, well, listen, I think it's going to take around just throwing out a number, you know, twelve thousand dollars to do this. I'm going to work for. This much per hour, per guy, plus material up until that $12,000. And if we go over $12,000, that means I messed up. I'm not going to charge you more than that, right? And if I come under that, then I've made what I need to make, and you make out oh, well because <clears throat> it cost $9,500, right, or whatever. So it's
0: time and material with a cap. With
2: a cap, exactly.
0: Oh, that's nice. So that's, yep. that works
2: out for, for everyone. Yeah, and so so sometimes that's a tough sell cuz people like some people Express. like a this is how much it's going to cost exactly. You know, cuz for me to come into your house, especially if it starts to get to be a bigger number or maybe your budget, you know, you have this much money to do the job and I come in and tell you that it's going to be $5,000 and you maybe budgeted 4 And I tell you that we're going to work time and material and we might not get to five. Well, you know, you're going to call somebody else that says, yeah, I can do it for three, five for sure. Right. Right. So, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't.
0: Yeah. And what role does, what role do former customers
2: play in your business? Oh, former customers are a huge role, especially because most of our, I'd say 95% of our return, our business is return repeat customers and word of mouth. So a friend of a friend said you did some work for them and you were great, they could like come and do some work for me. And that's, those are the ones that I have the highest percentage at, you know, to actually get that job. Cold calls, eh, it's 50-50 sometimes, if I'm gonna get that one or not. But if you have a, if you have a specific reference, you're much more likely to get that job.
0: Um, and do um, do you use uh, let's say you came to bid on painting uh, putting wallpaper in our house mm-hmm. um, and I asked you for some references do you have sort of like three or four sure. former customers that bingo you oh, yeah. you give me yep definitely so that's part of the game as well
2: it is I don't you know that's funny I, you, you think I would get that question more and yeah. I don't I don't really get it hardly at all yeah. Um, but yeah Definitely, I have people that I can give you a number to, and you can call them up.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I I think about uh, the number of times we've painted our various homes or had our various homes painted, and they've always been. You ask a neighbor, you ask a friend. Yeah. who do you use? It's a very it's a very reference orient personal reference oriented uh, type right. of business. Right. Um, you know, it's like finding a dentist when you move into a new area. Yeah. Yeah. Right. What dentist do you go to? Do you like like right.
2: them? Right. right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Within the past year or so, I've increased my online presence. So I've been getting more. I've been exploring more with you know with Yelp. Yes. Right. And Home Advisor is another one. Um. But even still, the, the personal references, like you said, you can ask your neighbor who they use, where they go, whatever. That's that's bread and butter. That's, yeah. That's what gets me most of my work
0: yeah yep. so uh, you you brought this up so like home advisors angie's list et cetera what right. what role what impact have they had on 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 sort of the way you do business
2: almost zero because I can't say that i get I've gotten a lot of work mm-hmm. through them I get more phone calls to do more bidding um so far that i've I haven't quite been able to bring myself to do this, but I've, I've almost started charging for estimates. Because, mm. you know, you everybody offers free estimates. Yes. Right? And that's fine. But then we go to, so let's talk about May, June, where, you know, it's great that I'm driving around giving all these numbers, but that's not that's not billable hours. Right. Right? So I could, maybe my time would be better spent on site doing some actual work. Now, that's a balance, right? So I need to, I still need to maintain more work so we can keep growing and keep working. But if 75% of those phone calls don't turn around to actual work, then I'm really just burning gas.
0: Yeah. It's like in any sales uh, function, qualifying customers to make sure that they're not just kicking the tires, but they're actually serious about it and that you can have a reasonable chance of closing this mm-hmm. transaction with them. Yeah, sure. is really important.
2: Right. And, so some of that, I'm not going to say that that's all, that's probably some of my salesmanship or technique. You know, mm-hmm. I probably need to revise or refine the way I sell my work. And, you know, maybe I could close some more of those deals. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that's, I understand that. I understand that I, you know, I just need to
0: get a little better at what I do. So. But, but the high percentage of closure is, is when I tell my neighbor that I used you right. and then that's better than anything else. As oh, long sure. as you show up and you're reasonable, you answer the that's phone, etc. I answer the phone, I show up. As long as you don't screw it up, you're going to get that job. Yeah,
2: right, exactly. <laughs> and now, and you kind of have to, I kind of would have to try kind of hard to screw it up. Mm-hmm. right? Because you can go to your neighbor's house and you can look. I mean, painting is a, you can see everything. It's not, you know, even different than a little bit, you know, it's different than carpentry a little. Right, because you could walk in and the house could look good, but maybe structurally some things are sketchy Not quite as they should be yeah right but the painter maybe Paint's his painter on was awesome and right. his it looks awesome in there right well you walk into somebody's house and if it looks great then it's plain as day what you're gonna get right yeah yeah so what are the
0: uh what are sort of the biggest challenges that you see in the business um let's say the challenge is up to this point and you sort of Getting into the business, working with your dad. I know we talked about a couple of these. But what were, what's like the big challenges up to this point? And then what do you see as the challenges going forward for the next 10, 15 years? Right, yeah.
2: Challenges up until now. For the business, I think one of – I've seen challenges as far as the ebbs and flows of the economy, mm-hmm. Right. So now the economy is really good, and this is in the past, right? So when the economy is really good, you can find there are painters everywhere. You go into the paint store and you look at their little cork board where all the business cards are, and it's you know they're all overlapped. They're everywhere. Again, easy business to get. Easy into. business to get into. The economy takes a dive; those guys are all gone, right? So that that's a challenge, right? To maintain a loyal customer base to get you through those those slow times, okay, and. Within the last uh, 10 years ish, New York State has changed some VOC regulations. So there's been a transition as far as the product we use. Um, And that's been a little bit of a struggle because now paint companies are formulating new paints, new stains, new varnishes, right? New products that we've had to learn how to use because, you know, lead based paint's gone. It has been gone for a long time. After that, there was oil-based paints and oil-based, you know, oil-based. Everything is the best, right? Well, it's not anymore. But there was definitely a growing stage, a growing pains to to learn that. You know, the products maybe weren't that good, so we had some product failures, and then we've had to deal with that, you know, customer satisfaction issues. Yes. Um, so that that's been a, a struggle. I think employee retention. Mm. is a struggle uh, and to be honest that transitions into current hardships and current challenges and getting employees retaining employees I think now and in the future is going to be number one challenge
0: yeah, yeah. do you uh, you brought up employees do you do any sort of profit sharing or what are your thoughts on that or you know any type of incentives for your employees
2: yeah that's a good question I Currently, I do not, but it has been. In, so now that I've, it's funny, I, I'm not, I've i never been the biggest long-term thinker. So, right, so now I have a problem right in front of my face. I'm like, well, shoot, now I need to do something about it to solve the problem. And profit sharing is definitely something that I've been thinking about, um, incentives, maybe even so far as to different pay structure. So instead of paying hourly, maybe I pay production mm-hmm. right so if you get uh, it's just, well, we'll throw something out there if you paint 25 you, you know we paint 25 windows in a day you get whatever 25 bucks yeah. a window or however yes. however yes. I would structure that right um, I'm on the fence about that one because then you're going to have people just racing through things so they can get more money because right. I still have to maintain a quality right. a standard right? right Um. so yeah That's definitely an idea. I haven't got, I haven't come to a solution or how to implement that with my business. Yeah. Um,
0: You know, uh, I ran a manufacturing business for a number of years, uh, where we did a lot of welding and cutting and painting of, of metal.
2: Right.
0: And, um, the product we sold was very, very expensive. And, uh, we had about 40, 45 employees. And, um, you know, folks were seeing this product go by them, and they were working on, and, and they were thinking, gosh, the, the company must be making tons of money, mm-hmm. and I'm not. Right. And and so one of the things I I started to do was once a month, <clears throat> I got everybody together, and we had a factory, so everybody was in the same place. And I basically went through the finances for that month uh, very easily. I said, here's the checks we wrote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> here's the checks we cashed. Right. So it was very simple, right? It wasn't and transparent. A, and transparent. It wasn't, you know, some accountant's PL statement. It was a very simple: here's the checks we wrote, here's the checks we cashed. Um, and I've kind of broken into different categories: here's welding rod, here's paint, here's accessories, blah, blah, blah. Right. And it was eye-opening to people. And, and here's payroll. Oh, yeah, right? <laughs> right? Sure. Payroll's checks, you're right. I mean, I yeah. didn't have each individual, so I just had a lump of payroll. And here's mm-hmm. taxes, payroll taxes, and here's health insurance and, you know, these other things. And it was eye-opening to people. And, and um, so I did that. And in addition to that, I set up a profit-sharing program where, and it was quarterly. So it wasn't once a year, but it was quarterly. And you had to work at the company for six months before you participated right. in, in it. Mm-hmm. And um, I basically took, the, I said, the first $50,000 we make in the business goes into the bank. For the company, then ev- everything thereafter we split fifty-fifty. So fifty percent of it goes to profit sharing, fifty percent of it goes into the bank. Uh, now I knew about how much money the company was going to make, you know, per quarter, oh, yeah. right? So yep. I mean, it, 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 we didn't, we weren't a huge business. Um, and I, and what we did was, if, if in a quarter we made thirty thousand dollars. Um, that, that, or 60, and then 30 went to the bank, 60 went to the profit-sharing plan, I basically divided by the number of employees we had. And everybody got the same size profit-sharing check. Mm-hmm. And my philosophy there was, the welders got paid a different salary than the, the guys who cut the metal, and they got paid a different salary than the guys who did the painting. So they got compensated for their skill in their salary. Right. But I wanted everybody to work together for the profit sharing. So everybody sure. got the same size check. Right. Okay, I divided. Right. Right. I divided by the number of employees. And it was interesting how it changed behavior. Prior to that, instituting that people were always, oh, we need we need more help. We need more help. And then after that, you could kind of see people making the calculation in their head. Oh, that means if we hire another person, we're going to divide by 31 instead of 30.
2: Right. My and profit share goes down. goes down.
0: And then all of a sudden, people would say, hey, hey, Joe, I got an extra hour a day. I can come help you do your thing. Oh, right. Right. And they started work. So that the, the ability to work together, it really changed the, the working together dynamic. And it also reduced our um expensable items, welding rod, paint, you know, consumable stuff, mm-hmm. that went down by like 30%. Because all of a sudden, instead of the guy throwing out this pint of paint, which for us, uh, 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 a gallon of paint was like $500. I mean, it was really expensive okay, paint, right? right. Yeah. And sometimes it was custom colors. Mm-hmm. They'd save it.
1: Because sure. they knew
0: at some point in time, we'd have a job that can use that paint, right? And, it, and all of a sudden, the welding rod, they used it all up. They didn't throw half a welding rod away. And it, was, it, was really, it really worked well for that business, right? right. This, this concept of sharing, being transparent. Here's where the money's going. I'm not putting it in my pocket. And number two, let's set up this profit sharing program where we all get the same size check, whether you're the... Person who answers the phone, or whether you're the most highly skilled person in the plant, uh, and we do it on a quarterly basis, so people could see that their actions were going to impact them on the near horizon.
2: That's a great so, idea. Yeah, it worked well. Yeah. Well, I'm that I'm going to have a little homework. <laughs> I like the way that sounds because that's all the kind of things that I'm trying to, you know, implement in the in yeah. the business. And my business is much smaller, even yes. still, right? Than and you know, i st- I would like to grow, and have some more employees. Like if I could car- I would like to be able to carry. Eight to ten through. Twelve months through a the year. year. Yeah. Right. Um. You know, it's I'm a little seasonal. Just it's just the way it is where we live. Yeah. Um. But. Eventually, I would like to be able to carry eight to ten. That would yeah. be ideal. Yeah. But that's a great idea. I'm gonna look into it. Yeah.
0: Well, we can chat about it more more yeah. offline. I went on a little longer than I wanted to. No, it was to. awesome. Um, so we've been going at it forty-five minutes already. Ian, uh, is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't?
2: I, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, honestly, I, I, have enjoyed this conversation. Um, I didn't honestly, I didn't really know what to expect, and. Uh, yeah. No, I think that's it. Great. Yeah. Well, it's
0: been a real pleasure. Thank you very much for being on the show. And uh, Adirondack Paint and Paper, Warrensburg, New York. I will make sure to put the contact information in the show notes. Uh, Thank you, Ian.
1: Thank you. Bela, that was really a great interview, and it was a cool snapshot of both the joys and the challenges of family-owned businesses. What were your takeaways?
0: So I think the one thing that really stood out to me in my conversation with Ian uh, was his notion that in many ways, painting houses, whether you're painting them outside or inside is sort of a commodity and he has to figure out a way of differentiating his product. And, you know, he, he thought long and hard about, okay, am I going to be the low priced guy? Am I going to differentiate on price? I mean, that's sort of Walmart strategy. That's uh, you know, if you go to Walmart, they're competing on price. Uh, And I think Ian decided, nope, uh, what we want to do, and probably a lot of credit goes to his father, since it is uh, uh, his father started the business, is that we're going to differentiate on quality. We want to leave our customers really, really happy, and we want to leave them with a beautiful product that they're proud of and that we're proud of. And that he also understood that if he does that, uh, that there's a real uh, good chance that he's going to get recommended. Because I know a couple times we've painted our house, uh, you know, we ask the neighbors or we ask our friends, hey, who painted your house? And so it's a it's a referral type business. It's not an advertising business for, for the most part. So um, he decided to differentiate on quality. And I think that's a really good lesson there for entrepreneurs. Oftentimes, uh, we always keep thinking about price, 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 price. Um, but I think you want to if you can take price out of the equation. It's not about price. It's about uh, having something that you do better than anyone
1: else. Especially in this type of business, Bela, where there's two factors of this business I think that were interesting to me. One is that it's not like you're going to the grocery store and seeing the price of Heinz ketchup versus Hunt's ketchup versus store brand ketchup, right? Each time you want to get a price, you have to get a hold of the person. And as we said, sometimes they don't call you back. You have to schedule a quote. The estimator has to come out. There's still some uncertainty. So it's not a fixed price, easy to compare model. And then the second component of this was interesting that unlike some businesses, the quality is very evident in the job that you're looking at. Even if you don't know what a good paint job is, you can tell, oh, the lines are cut in evenly and look at the finish on the paint really looks nice. The choice of color was great. Um, You know, maybe the person will tell you, oh, they cleaned up really well afterwards and they were on time. So the elements of quality in this business are very, very clear to any person who's looking at it. Unlike the example he used was carpentry or plumbing or something like that, where when it's under the surface, right, you can't always see what's there. So I thought those two factors made this a very interesting choice that his father and then then passed on to Ian made to really focus on the quality side of the business.
0: Yeah, I I, I think you're right, Mike. Those were good observations. Uh, You know, I think the the other challenge uh, when you talk about these small businesses, whether it be a restaurant or a cafe or painting business or coffee roasting business, is is finding folks uh, to work in your business, finding employees. And, um, you know, in the paint business or in the restaurant business, you got to have some level of skills. And this notion of... uh, Trade skills, uh, carpenters, plumbers. Uh, you know, and we hear a lot about this in the press, that there's a real shortage of, of trades folks. And uh, Ian emphasized this. He has a really hard time finding people. And if he could find more people, he could get more business. So he's not limited by potential customers, or he's not limited by people calling him. He's limited by the amount of staff that he can have uh, and the amount of crews that he can have
1: painting. That's not a demand-driven business. It's a resource-constraint-driven business. And look at the time frame he was talking about to quote a deal. Could you imagine if you needed to get your car fixed and the repair shop said, oh, yeah, we can fix your car in four months, right? Um, right. right? It wouldn't work, right? But this is a business where that he can get away with that, and I don't mean that in a, in a negative sense, but just people are willing to wait to get their house painted. It's not something that generally they need right now. Um, but... To me, that's a sign that, yeah, with a better staffing model, um, he could meet demand more quickly, have shorter delays, um, and keep his crews busy. But he doesn't have the, the human capital. It points out a really interesting difference between the German model and the U.S. model. And here in Germany, there's an apprentice system, and you become a master painter, and you get a certificate. And, I mean, there's still the same issues with supply, um, it's, it, but, but there's an educational track that leads to um, at least some supply of painters. And and Ian talked about that, about trying to work with kind of the local educational institutions in terms of uh, trying to establish a pipeline of talent. Um, and also, I, this is subjective and it's through a weird cultural lens that I have, but I think people who work in the trades get more respect from society here, the, in, at least in the city that I live in. If you go and say you're a painter, remember he said that, if I, you're, I'm a painter, I'm a master painter. This is this is respected here more than I think in the U S where people kind of look at you sideways. Um, so that's just a cultural thing, but, but yeah, the human capital issue was amazing. And right. How to, how, how he's had an ad for how long running continuously. Right. Amazing. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. He could, he could hire, he could double the size of his crew and, and, uh, he'd still have plenty of work. Yeah. So that's that's interesting from a business perspective, right here. -hmm. You have a business, (laughs) Uh, you, you can sell more product than you can produce. Yep. And uh, getting the talent to help you produce the product is your limiting factor. So, uh, you know, that,
1: I... Oh, sorry. No, no, I, go. I, I wonder how much technology will transform this business. So I wonder if at some point um, you'll have a robotic device that can lay on paint. You'll have a drone that will fly up and spray the exact right layer of paint. I mean, I wonder how far off we are from having some machines. We talk about replacing you know, jobs replacing people is a bad thing. But in this case, these are jobs that are going unfilled, right? So this is a case where labor makes it better. And then you can train people in, okay, the detail work maybe that the robot can't do or the estimating part. And you're still hiring people, right? But somebody's got to do this. You know, robots can't do everything, right? And somebody's got to clean up and somebody's got to prep. And so this is interesting. It'll be interesting to see how digitalization impacts the house painting business.
0: Right. Or, you know, are we going to have paint at all in the future? <laughs> maybe That's maybe all of our walls are big LED screens. Yeah, or coded <laughs> and, and you can you can can them something
1: co- you can change the colors on your right. smartphone. You can right. do it with your lights.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Mm.
1: Baylor, maybe we should get out of the podcasting business and get into the <laughs> electronic wall covering business. And well, unfortunately, we disrupt the painters right out of business.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: That'd be don't cool. hold your
0: breath on that one.
1: I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, if it was a film, right? Think about—we had a guest who did the right-on whiteboard film, right? Could you do a film and it plugged into a wall outlet and you're done,
0: right? You can have whatever any color you want, right? Any you color you want, it. and seasonally it, you, you can change it.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Because right? right now, when you're listen
0: painting w- painting a room is a big deal, right? You got to empty it. There's a, there's a lot of stuff that happens in order to paint a room. Oh yeah. Uh, it's not just uh, it's not just uh, two three hours and you're done. Right. No. it's it's a week, and it's that messy. That room is that, we, that room is down for a week. Yeah. So there you go, you heard, folks. You heard it here. I Business like it. opportunities. Mike yeah. and I are just well, giving them away.
1: Think about it too, because then your art can go directly on the wall. And we all know people who do this. I know you and I don't do this, but there are people that do this. If oh, you know your aunt rita is coming over or whatever right you get that picture of you and aunt rita out right and you put it on the shelf right when she comes over this could be hooked into your calendar so that when people come over you've got the the framed snapshots right built into the wall of how much you love you know aunt whoever right it's brilliant right how much embarrassment would it save you you know
0: right right
1: Exactly. Bela, you've got every one of the ants up on the wall except for me. What is it with you? Right? Uh, yeah. You must yeah. not love me.
0: <laughs> Where's my picture? <laughs>
1: exactly. So I love this idea. All right. Yeah. But um, yeah, these the HR challenges were, were pretty amazing. And, uh, and I thought that was interesting. Communication changed. I love just it. like people don't have phone books anymore. I'm like, yeah, people don't really have phone books anymore. And that was yeah. how when we were younger, you'd find a painter. absolutely it's the yellow pages right and now it's all digital it's all digital and he's had to manage that right which is interesting yelp and some of the other tools that you mentioned the handyman websites right that make referrals
0: yeah yeah you know speaking of yelp I, i i've done two other uh podcasts which will be coming out shortly uh interviewing small business folks and uh with one of them we had this conversation about yelp how uh it's a curse and it's a blessing, and uh, that you know you really need to be careful. Uh, and 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 they had interesting comments about Yelp in that anybody can post anything to Yelp. Uh, unlike you know an Amazon review of a product, you you're a sort of a verified user uh, in order to post something
1: unmoderated. Um,
0: and yeah, it's unmoderated at all. And uh, <clears throat> So there was sort of, uh, you know, one, one person I was talking to was saying, gee, you know, out of the box, we had, you know, we had a total of 10 reviews and and one of them was bad and it was just, you know, whether we screwed up or whether it was just a person who likes to do bad reviews doesn't matter. Or if it was a competitor, right? Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Devastating. It's
0: devastating. Yeah, it's devastating. So, uh, but you got to manage it. The point is it's there. You're not getting rid of it. So you have to figure out how to overcome that stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a real important aspect these days of business. It's not just sticking an ad in the yellow pages or in the newspaper, and that's going to drive business. The first place people go is they go to these various different referral sites to figure out, are you good? And what's better than a referral site is going to my neighbor.
1: Word of mouth.
0: Right. My neighbor says, hey, I had Ian in here. He painted my house on the outside. And I can look at it, and I can immediately make a judgment whether that's good or not. And yep. so this is a real referral business.
1: Right. And he said those people were less price sensitive, right? And they were more willing to commit to a job once he gave them a quote. It's fascinating, right? That's sticky, right. Sticky customers, you know?
0: That's right. That's right. He said they're not price sensitive because they, they've they seen the quality, right? They're not They're not sort of like taking a risk. They have confidence that
1: there's going to be a good job and a good outcome. Yeah. Do you remember in that like if you look up pest control or driving schools in the phone book and people used to create their names with letters A in front right like I'll be A A A so I can be first in the phone book house painters right yes A A A triple A triple A right yep and. Action with two A's, right? Action Pest Control and Aardvark Pest Control. And there were very little pest control companies or driving schools or whatever. You know, their, their name started with K or L or, heaven forbid, W, right? Um, interesting. And then I, I'll bet you that's gone away now. I'll bet you if we looked at the the registered company names that that practice has stopped because the, these are not alphabetical anymore.
0: It's not a driver. Yeah. It's not It's not a driver. Interesting.
1: That's an yeah. aside. Um. I loved your conversation about profit sharing and designing incentives. And he was like, "Wow, that's a really cool idea!" All right? Um, how yeah, do you, you know? How do you figure ahead. these things out if you're a small business person? How do you figure out what the right the right motivator is, and how do you design it?
0: Yeah, I, I think you know you can look at. There's lots of publications, a lot of articles been written about motivation, profit sharing, different ways of doing it, uh, and you know in the example i talked about in the podcast there what even 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 the quarters that basically we wrote $500 checks to everybody
1: mm-hmm.
0: which was a small quarter for us mm-hmm. right from a profit sharing perspective for someone who in our shop at that time was making you know $9.50 an hour a $500 check is a lot of money
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and so the point being here is that y- you can you can use this however you design it. You want to use it to make sure it motivates the type of behavior that you're trying to achieve, and 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 we were trying to achieve uh, things like cutting our costs and cutting our waste, and and you know it was very successful at that, and you know people use profit sh- <coughs> excuse me people use profit sharing for employee retention, and. You know, here, that I think would be a big thing. There's a real skills shortage. So I don't want someone leaving. So what can I do uh, uh, to help, help them stay here and to motivate them to stay, to mo- make them feel like they're part of the organization and they're contributing to the overall success of the organization, right? People hand out shares of stock, uh, but if your company's not going to be sold or your company's not going to uh, uh, go public, my share of stock, you know, is not worth all that much. Um, So I think this is a much more interesting way of sort of motivating folks. And, and, but again, you got to design it in such a way that you end up doing the things you want to achieve. And Hey, if, if you end up with some unintended consequences, you can change it, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's not, it's not like the Ten Commandments, right? We can, we can change any, any incentive programs we set up. But I'm a firm believer in incentive programs, and I'm a firm believer in doing them frequently. Once a year is not sufficient uh, when you have these once-a-year profit-sharing programs. I'm a believer in either monthly or quarterly, but doing them quickly, tie them, link them to what's important in the business.
1: Yeah, and do some experiments and you got to measure the outcomes, right? It's no good to set up an incentive program and then not be able to measure how it's impacting the behavior and the attitudes of your employees, right? right.
0: And they have to be transparent.
1: Yep. People yep. have to open believe and it. Honest.
0: People yep. people have to believe it and they have to be honest about it because otherwise it doesn't work.
1: Yeah, so there's a nice leadership lesson there, right? In terms of being open and honest and transparent with your people and then figuring out what their needs are. And your needs are, and finding a system to match those up, right?
0: Yep. Hey, And look, I, I remember that, that's interesting. You know, I forgot about this. There, there was a there was a person at the at the company there who who I remember coming up to me and he said, "Can I trade my profit sharing check in for more days off?"
1: Love it. And you, of
0: course, said, "Well, yeah, we came up with an algorithm, right? You nice. know, so many dollars per day." <laughs> And and for that person, more days off was more important than the cash.
1: And you just saved yourself losing an employee who would go change a job, not for more money, but for another week or two of vacation. And I have right. friends that have done the same thing. They're like, no, you know, I like my job, but I only got two weeks. And I really, I had friends that are getting three and four and I switched jobs. I know one person took a pay cut to get right. an extra two weeks of vacation right. because that right. trade-off was worth it for her.
0: So so the the, the point here. And and your comment triggered it is is this notion of not this the same things are not important to everybody. So mm-hmm. so you have to figure out what they are and you have to have an environment where people are willing to express that. And then you want to build in the flexibility uh, that gives people that option.
1: Yeah. As my friend Farzad Mahmoodi tells anybody who will listen all the time when he's talking about supply chains, it fits here with HR systems too. One size does not fit all. Yep, exactly, yep. exactly. So okay. anything
0: else we want to kick around on this one, Mike?
1: I think we should wrap it up. You know, I like to be respectful of our listeners' times and not go on uh, too much of a tangent on things, but it was an interesting path today. Great interview, really interesting things to think about, really understanding these small family businesses, that get passed down. Oh, we didn't even mention, right, the conflict, the role conflicts, father versus boss, right? That's just a great illustration of these things that, all of these family businesses, I think, that I've been around struggle with this, right?
0: They sure do. Are I you sure being do.
1: dad or are you being my boss? You know? <laughs> so I wanted to highlight that. That was a, he, and I think he told a great story about uh, around the din- dinner table, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> right. You know, going to, going to his parents for dinner or his parents came over, whatever. But yeah, thanks for interviewing Ian. I thought it was great. Uh, listeners, uh, as always, we're really happy that you joined us in our podcasting Adventure, for this week. Uh, we thought, we hope that you found the last hour so interesting and thought provoking. Um, hey, if you, if you want, if you can, uh, let us know that you're listening and that you're interested and you have questions and you have suggestions, you can email us at mike at gmail.com. Uh, we're happy to answer listener questions either on air or off, as you wish. Uh, And we're certainly open to topics and people that you might think would be interesting for us to interview. Um, And of course, you know, the podcasting thing. uh, If you like what we're doing, please subscribe if you're not, or hit like or whatever on your podcast app that you're using. Um, And, you know, if you can take three minutes and write a quick review, that really is uh, helpful for us. Um, And of course, if you want to share us with others that might be interested, that is always appreciated
0: yeah so that's it for this week Uh, thank you for spending time with us we look forward to you joining us for our next episode, signing off from upstate
1: New York, hey Mike, see you next week, see you next week Bela I will enjoy a pretzel and a beer over here in Minster, Germany and I wish you an excellent week
0: this podcast is produced for Mike and I by our friends at Busy Media of Schenectady, New York they can be found at BusyMedia.co